Welcome to another edition of the critically acclaimed Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks. John Adams is off for one more week. should be back with us uh, next week, but just the two of us holding down the fort yet again. And Adam, it is NFL Draft Week begins on Thursday. It's a three-day process now as it's been for the last several years be round one on Thursday rounds two and three on Friday and then four through seven on Saturday what's your uh, what's your feelings on the draft because my thing was always you know when I was covering the Vols on the beat like you are now of course I'd watch the whole thing waiting for Tennessee players to be drafted and ride it up and whatever but I always felt like if I didn't have to be watching this I don't think I would be watching this like even if you just, if you like the NFL, I'd be like, okay, get text alerts on my phone and see which players my my team picked. But I know there are a lot of fans out there, particularly NFL fans, that watch it uh, wire to wire at the very least. You know, the first three rounds, they're not missing. Yeah, a pick. my mode has usually been a lot of anticipation and then a pretty quick letdown. <laughs> um, you know, the anticipation is better than what the event is. My, my brother and I had for, for a number of years a tradition where when I lived in Nashville, there was the the marathon that you'd run in Nashville. It was always the day of the first round of the draft. This is back when the draft was uh, started during the day on the weekend. And we'd get up early in the morning. We would run a run a, a, a marathon or a half marathon, and it would be over when the draft started. And so we'd go get, you know, like the biggest bucket of chicken ever to reload our calories after running and sit down and watch the draft. And it was like, here it, here it goes. We're going to sit down. We're going to eat all this food. We're going to not going to move all day. And we're going to watch the draft for, for seven hours. And then about the 15th or 16th pick, like an hour and a half in, we would fall asleep and then we'd wake up an hour later and walk off and do something else. And you just check the ticker at the end. I think a lot of people treat it, not necessarily in that way with all those extra things, but treat it as boy, I can't wait till this gets here. And then when it gets there, you kind of figure out how boring the the event is and they move on and, you know, figure out you can look at your phone like that night and get all the picks in like 15 seconds. And I think that's how I'll treat it this time, aside from watching, you know, a few SEC guys and certainly Tennessee guys get picked. Yeah, I want to get to the, the Tennessee guys here in just a moment, but I was, I was thinking, you know, I guess sort of similarly to you, I was not running marathons, but as, as, as a younger person, as a kid, the draft was one of those sporting events that I really looked forward to. I think the MLB All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby uh, were other events that as a kid, I loved them. I never missed a Home Run Derby. I never missed an All-Star Game. Now, oftentimes, the Home Run Derby and All-Star Game fall during the week of SEC Media Days. So they might be you know, on at a bar or something that I'm out at that night you know, while we're out at Media Days, and I might steal a few glances. But I don't care about the MLB All-Star game at all, and certainly not the home run derby. What was an event that, as a kid, you know, a young guy growing up as a sports fan, you just loved? It was appointment viewing, and now it's like, I don't care about this at all. Uh, most sporting events. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in general, the NBA. I used to watch NBA games absolutely every single night that there was a game on, especially the the Bulls. I was a Bulls fan in the 90s, uh, which a lot of people were. Uh, but I can't I, I, I can't even watch the NBA finals now. Uh, but, you know, a particular event. Yeah, NBA All-Star Game, slam dunk con- contest, those sort of things. And, you know, I mean, 
pre-internet and especially pre-social media and maybe even more so probably uh, pre-smartphones, uh, we could be fooled into se thinking something that was very mundane was actually entertaining. And, you know, in, in, in how things are now, you know, you can watch something in the background, but then be looking at your phone. And that's actually hurt these events now, because if you're watching the NFL draft, but then you're also sort of looking at your phone and the draft is in the background, at some point you say, I'm getting better information from my phone. So why do I even have this on in the background? So, you know, <laughs> at that point, why aren't you just watching Netflix and then watching the draft on your phone and Netflix is your background or, or the draft is your background on your phone. And so, you know, it, it's a little harder to fool us. I, I give the, the NFL and ESPN and all that credit for many, many, many years of tricking us into thinking something as much as, waiting 10 minutes and naming a player at a microphone was entertaining. Uh, still is to some people. And if it is good for you, I was in your shoes at one time, but uh, uh, I, I can't do it anymore. Not to mention it's, I mean, it's so much of this is like signing day. There's a celebration over s somebody that got picked and we have no idea if that pick is going to be good or not. I mean, and there's a lot of similarities on national signing day. If you sign a five-star player, he's probably going to be really good. Sometimes there's busts, but he's probably going to be really good. Your first round pick is probably going to be good and a long-time player, starter, whatever. Um, once you get into three-star players on signing day, or once you get into the, you know, beyond the first three rounds, eh, it's a coin toss. You can celebrate all you want. You can, you can, you know, look through your colored glasses and say, well, this, this guy really fits what our team is. And, you know, I, uh, th this guy was underrated or whatever, but you really have absolutely no idea. So you're, you're, you're kind of just celebrating your own optimism, which again is fine. It's what fans should do, but it, you don't get any answers on, on, uh, on draft day. Well, let's get into to handicapping the way things look uh, for, for the Tennessee players who stand to be drafted this week. You know, I know you've been following this, writing about this and tuning into, I guess, the so-called experts. It, it seems as if, four Vols are probably going to be drafted uh, this week, which would be double the previous two years. Last year, it was just Josh Palmer and Trey Smith. And the year before that, it was just two players as well, uh, Daryl Taylor and Juwan Jennings. Now, Tennessee has not had a first-round draft pick since the 2017 draft. So, of course, that would be players who played their final year in 2016 uh, when Derek Barnett was a first-round pick for the Eagles almost certainly not going to have a first-round draft pick this year either. But the four guys projected to be drafted by most are Matt Butler, Elante Taylor, Cade Mays, and Valus Jones. So, Adam, who who has, like, the, the highest round potential, I guess, out of that quartet, and, and what's sort of the range for, for that group of four? Well, and I'll go a little further, first off, with some of the numbers you threw out. If you look at the past 10 years, Tennessee has averaged, they've had 21 drafted guys the last 10 years, so 2.1 per year. So they're probably going to double that this year from two to four on their average of the last 10 years. And they average one guy in the top three rounds each year. And I, I kind of consider the top three rounds as an early round pick. That's guys that are probably going to hit in the NFL, just statistically speaking. And they're going to be right at that because Matthew Butler may go in the third round uh, at best, they'll have that. So 
ahead of the curve uh, of the average on one hand and maybe a little below it or at it in the other category. If you look at the mock drafts, and, and they're mock for a reason, they're just projections, uh, Matthew Butler is usually at the top of the four uh, for Tennessee. I've seen him as high as a third round pick. I've seen him as low as maybe like a sixth round pick. My best guess would be that he's going to go early of the third day, which starts in the fourth round. After that, you know, maybe Alante Taylor, Valus Jones, him and Taylor are kind of even. Cade Mays is an interesting one because Cade Mays is the only guy of these four that his draft stock has dropped over the past year. I'm always a little leery of the, you know, one year out projections. I've seen this with other players that I've covered that, you know, the uh, when you have these mock drafts the day after a draft for the next year's draft. And Cade Mays a year ago was looked at as, well, he may be like a late first round pick. Um, you look at the mock drafts now and he's probably late, late rounds. I mean, there's even a chance he could not get drafted. I think he'll get drafted because of his versatility, but you're looking at maybe like a sixth, seventh round pick. Um, so his stock has dropped. The other three have gone up, have risen. You know, a, a year ago, Matthew Butler was, he had potential, but was not really seen as a draftable player. Alante Taylor, I think, was a marginally draftable player, but a year ago, probably not if you were a betting man. Bayless Jones Jr. could return kicks and things, but was looked at as probably an undrafted free agent. So three of the four at went from probably undraftable last year to draftable. And that's, that's a pretty good percentage. If you're looking at it from the, from the coaching standpoint, I think all four guys probably will get drafted. And then you'll see like Theo Jackson, uh, Javante Payton, those type of guys will probably get into a camp as undrafted free agents. They'll at least get a shot. What do you think it says about Josh Heupel that he started off his Tennessee tenure with a bowl game, won seven games, and he did not have, um, almost certainly did not have a round one, a round two draft pick on his roster. Now down the road, you know, maybe someone that was a freshman last year or something becomes flourishes and, and is drafted in rounds one or two. But for the most part, you know, when you look at the upperclassmen, it looks like he, he didn't have a, a round one, a round two guy. Now, I know you could say, well, what would have happened if Hendon Hooker would have went into the draft this year? Cedric Tillman. Well, if those guys would have been a round one, a round two pick, they wouldn't have come back to Tennessee. You know, they're, they're not coming back to Tennessee um, and passing up being a first round draft pick. They're coming back because uh, obviously the intel they were receiving is that they weren't going to be, you know, drafted in the first couple of rounds. So you come back. And so, you know, all told, when you look at most of the guys that were were playing out there last year, they really all the guys probably there was not a round one, round two pick out there for Tennessee, and they still won seven games. Is there something we can take from that, or is it just basically okay? Hey, that's the starting point. Now go recruit better guys and start pumping out first round draft picks. Yeah, at least from a short sample, uh, I think we have uh, we have every reason to believe that this coaching staff developed players better, made them more draftable for the reasons that I said before. I mean, if you take over a program and then one year after you take over the program, you have guys drafted, you either develop them into draftable players or you just inherited you know good talent and you just coached them for a year and they got drafted and that's it. The first one is what Josh Hopple did, and I think it's kind of hard to argue that. Again, Butler was not draftable. He is now. He's, he, he may even be an early-round pick. Uh, Alante Taylor was probably not draftable, has made himself into a draftable player. 
Valus Jones Jr. was a guy that really didn't have much receiving stats. He had returned kicks, and he was good at, the, at that in, in the Pac-12. Um, but they got the most out of him as a receiver and a more polished receiver. And that's what you see a lot in the projections with him, that he was a returner that you would take as an undrafted free agent. Now, his speed is a given that, that's helping him it's with Taylor as well. But Valus Jones Jr. is now a draftable player after working with that staff for a year and in that offense. And I'll go even further than that. The two that you mentioned, Cedric Tillman and Hendon Hooker, a year ago, there wasn't a prayer of either of those guys getting drafted. Um, because of the one year under Josh Hopple's staff, they actually had a legitimate reason to consider coming out early. And a year from now, if they have another year like they just did, both of those guys will probably get drafted. It's debatable. You know, Hooker may go at the end of the end of the draft next year, but he's a draftable player. Cedric Tillman uh, could really help himself this year if he has another really good year. Byron Young was pr- maybe a, an early round pick next year as as a uh, as an edge rusher. Uh, Jeremy Banks a year ago was not was not a guy that would be considered draftable. I think he probably is now, or at least has a p- potential to if he has a really good year this year. And you can g- sort, of g- sort of go on down the list. In the one-year sample that we have, it wasn't that Josh Hopple took talented players and just coached them. He, his staff took players that had not that had untapped potential and showed enough of it that those guys are now seen as NFL players. And so I think that it says a lot, for, again, in a small sample of what, what they did to develop these guys. And it probably points to more what they can do in the future. It's interesting. If you go back to Josh Heupel's time, even as an offensive coordinator uh, within the SEC at Missouri, you know, the, the Tigers put up some some big offensive numbers during Heupel's time as OC there. And you look back at the players that were drafted um, off those offenses in the couple years that he was there, uh, Drew Locke became a second round uh, quarterback pick. He was he was drafted by the Broncos and is now with the Seahawks. Uh, but other than that, Jamon Moore was a wide receiver. He was a fourth round pick, had a cup of coffee with the Packers. And that was pretty much it. There really wasn't Obviously, having an early round quarterback is key, but there wasn't, uh, you know, NFL talent up and down those offenses either. And they put up, you know, really good numbers, uh, as as Tennessee fans can attest to. They remember going, you know, the Vols struggling against those Missouri offenses while Hyper was OC. So point being, you know, he's proven he doesn't have to have uh, early round NFL talent to put up, uh, you know, big numbers in his system, particularly offensively. Uh, and now you just wonder, okay, if he starts bringing in those first and second round talent guys, you know, just how high can can this go, or or does it really not even matter? Is it just like it's a system that works in college, and and you plug and play who you got? Yeah, I do think this is going to be something interesting to track the next few years because you you mentioned Missouri, so those are he's recruiting some of those players, but he's not the head coach of that of that team. UCF, he's the head coach, but that's a mid-major program. You're mostly going to be getting three-star players as recruits anyway. Now at an SEC program in Tennessee, he has the ability to get uh, NFL-caliber recruits and develop them into NFL-draftable players. Uh, it'll be interesting to track over the years, especially offensively. Now, Josh Hopel, defense under Josh Hopel, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see long-term how that, how that goes, but he has an offensive system. That's where their success is. And I think there's a decent chance that he's going to have a number of guys drafted, but in the middle to late rounds. I mean, look at the guys that we're talking about so far. Valus Jones Jr. is a guy who has good ability, 
slightly undersized, but not by much. Um, not really polished route runner when they got him. A little better now. That's what made has made him draftable, aside from the fact that he's returner. But, you know, a, a pretty good SEC player, but not a guy that's going to, you know, wow everybody in the NFL. So that's why he's, you know, probably a late-round pick. Um, Hendon Hooker is a guy that's probably not going to get drafted high if, if drafted at all at some point. He's more of a system quarterback that has been really good in Josh Hopple's system, but he's not looked looked at as a as a guy that has uh, you know elite NFL skills. Cedric Tillman had a thousand yard uh, receiving season this past year, um, but he's but his forty time is not going to wow anybody. Um, he's got size and he's pretty athletic, but again, he's a guy that's not looked at as an NFL caliber elite player. So. Josh Hopple is kind of taking pieces that look like good college players, but not NFL players and doing a lot with them. And I think that's a little bit of what he did at Missouri. I think that's somewhat of what he did at central Florida. Now where that tracks over time, we'll see, but I, I, you know, I don't know if it's, if it gets immensely better on offense, if you then get in a bunch of five-star players, you would think it does, but, but I don't know. It almost seems like his system is what it is, regardless of the players that you plug into it. And I don't know how Tennessee fans really should feel about that because let's say Tennessee is a, can become a 10 win team. Does it matter if they have a lot of first round picks? You know, if, if they're at some point um, challenging in the East division, uh, they're probably going to have high picks, but does it really matter? I, I don't know that it really does. I think the the team success matters the most, and whatever you have uh, individually is sort of just a bonus. Yeah, it seems like um, you know, really, it's if you want to contend for championships, you need that that depth of NFL talent, that early round NFL talent. If and and for fair verification of that, just listen to see how many Georgia players are, are drafted this week. Uh, projections have it being at least a dozen, uh, including a handful that'll be going in the first round. So yeah, to your point, I think um, I think you can contend for a, a division uh, with um, you know a smattering of NFL guys, particularly if you you have a good coaching staff, a good system, etc. Uh, if you want to be winning national championships. Uh, certainly you need to be loaded up with NFL talent. Well, and it probably depends on the position too. If, if I think really, if you put some truth serum into the Tennessee's coaching staff and you said, if I, if I can get you, uh, you know, three or four first round picks um, on your team, where would you want them? I think their best chance to win maybe if is if you put those as an edge rusher, a cornerback, uh, you put them on defense, just elite talents that can change a game. Because, again, I feel like Josh Hopple's system, you can take, you know, fair to pretty good parts and 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 get good offense. I mean, we saw it this last year. Again, that's just, you know, they were average, uh, average talent on offense, maybe a little above average on offense. And they were the highest scoring team in, uh, in UT history. They put up points on pretty much anybody that they played. So, I think if you're talking about where would you want elite five-star first-round talent, it would it would be on the defensive side, and that's probably going to make you a more complete team. Maybe you say an offensive lineman that wouldn't hurt to, that would hurt as well. But uh, Hendon Hooker may not get drafted a year from now yet. He put up you know as a, pretty close to as good of a season uh, as a quarterback as you could have. I, I think Josh Hopple could do more with less on offense 
he needs more of that elite talent on defense to make this a more complete team. Wholeheartedly agree, and I think that's a that's a great point. If you could offer Tennessee, say, four guys that were going to be picked in the first two rounds of the NFL draft and say, pick your positions, I think I'd take, if I'm Tennessee, you're giving me four early round draft picks. I think I'd take uh, two defensive linemen, a linebacker, and a cornerback. I'll put them all four on defense and say, you know what? Um, you know, even with some some late round NFL talent, this offense is going to score points. Heupel has proven that. Uh, put those four early round draft picks on defense with two of them up front on D. That, that's what I'd do with them. I think I think you make a great point there. It's it's really kind of interesting food for thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, Georgia did not have an NFL quarterback this year and win the national title. I, I know every program's a little different, but you've seen a lot of teams be really good and have a plug and play type running back. Um, you know, again, Josh Hopple can do things with just inefficient quarterback. I don't think you have to have it there. Um, you know, Georgia and Alabama win a whole lot because they have elite uh, linemen. First round offensive tackles, first round edge rushers, first round big physical defensive linemen, and first round corners. And by the way, that's where the value is in in the NFL too. So there's there's another there's another layer to that. Uh, edge rushers and corners are what are, are what people are picking high, and that's what, that has value in the NFL. And so then that has also has value in the college game. Yeah, if I had four for Tennessee, uh, regardless of the season that we're talking about, you can use deductive reasoning. I wouldn't go quarterback. I wouldn't go running back. I would probably not go wide receiver. Um, I, yeah, I would go uh, edge rusher, corner. I'd go two edge rushers, a corner, and an offensive tackle. Uh, I, I, I think that's what you need to win in this league. And I think the other spots, especially for Josh Hopple's system, you, you can plug and play a little bit more. I mean, think about what Tennessee would have been this past year if if you could have taken uh, two defensive linemen from uh, from Georgia and put them on this team. Uh, you know, that's a big if, but, I, you know, if you're trading around the SEC, uh, that that's, that's sort of what you would do. I know we talk about the portal, but – if you could trade around the SEC, you would you would package some uh, maybe a few offensive guys uh, for Tennessee this last year. Package them and, and send them elsewhere and get a, get an edge rusher. Uh, this coming year, you would probably do that to get a corner, and you would be immensely better than if you added some skill position on the offensive side because they have a number of guys they can plug in there. We appreciate you making us a, a first round podcast on on your playlist, and if you don't already. Uh, go ahead and, and hit subscribe or, or follow so you do not miss an episode and would appreciate it if you like what you hear uh, to give us a rating or review. Those ratings and reviews help us get in front of more listeners. Adam, uh, you and I were in, in Chattanooga last week for the first stop on the Big Orange Caravan. I know you continued on uh, to the stops in Atlanta and the Tri-Cities, and, and that caravan uh, will wrap up. Uh, with a stop in Nashville on Thursday, and then the following week we'll head to Memphis. Um, I wanted to get your impressions of that because it struck me, I mean, these caravans don't mean that much, really. Uh, You know, it's not necessarily going to help you win a game uh, come fall, but this was the first time Tennessee's hit the road for a caravan since 2018. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt and and Philip Fulmer did not do the caravan. Uh, I mean, nobody did, but I think that's where the decision was made. Uh, did not do the caravan in 19. And then, of course, we had two years of of the caravan not happening with the pandemic. 
Um, so what do you think, you know, you heard from, from Hypo, Kelly Harper, Rick Barnes, um, what, what do you think of how they interacted? what do you think of, of how Hypo, um, did sort of on the main stage and, and doing the Q and A with fans? Well, if you add Tony Vitello to that, that mix, the, the four, the coaches of the four major sports there, um, and Tony Vitello, by the way, could have gone to the caravan if he wanted to, <laughs> he was serving a suspension. I think it would have been funny if he did that. Um, if you take those four guys, those are pretty four different personalities, um, yet they make themselves tremendously likable in their positions to the fan base, all for different reasons. And and I really like what they how they play off of each other and that they're aware of what the other programs are doing. Sometimes at schools you'll see that the you know the men's basketball coach really doesn't know a whole lot of what's going on with baseball or vice versa. Uh, that's not the case. All four of these coaches know what's going on. They know the themes. Maybe some of that is due to social media. I wouldn't say that with all of them, but they're very aware of of kind of the the pulse of the fan base with the other sports outside of their own. And so, you know, they're likable in different ways. Uh, Rick Barnes is the funniest guy in the room. Rick Barnes is uh, one of these old school coaches that before social media was the guys that would always have the, you know, these booster events and you would hear one liners from them. Maybe they would appear in the newspaper, but you, you unless you paid the money, you didn't go and see them. And they could kind of kind of hold a room with these one liners and stories and could relate to everybody. That That's Rick Barnes, that that old school coach that can just talk to any room about anything. And you can tell he's done that for a long time. Um uh, Kelly Harper completely understands. I'd probably be most complimentary of Kelly Harper because Ke- Kelly Harper completely understands who she is and why she's popular. Um, she embraces the Pat Summit comparisons, which I, I think is not a given. And I think it's it's really good that she does that. It would be easy for her to say, I'm my own person. I'm not Pat Summit. Quit comparing me to Pat Summit. Instead, she does the opposite. I know there's some similarities. That's wonderful. And I'm going to embrace that. Um, she does that really well. And she completely understands that her Southern accent and her ties to Tennessee, being a Tennessee native and her being able to speak the language. She told me that this past week that she said, these are my people. I speak this language. I could even translate for Josh Hopple if need be. He said <laughs> she completely understands that people like her a lot because she's one of them and she leans into that in every way that she can. She's also pretty funny on her own. I mean, one of the best one liners of the week was when uh, Rick Barnes and Josh Hoppel were talking about, you know, your, your offense isn't any good. Your defense is any good or whatever. And Kelly Harper said, I think Josh Hoppel, Josh Hoppel's team should teach Barnes's team how to play offense and Barnes's team should teach Hoppel's team how to play defense. And that sort of brought the house down because she was in on the joke. She mm-hmm. completely got those two those two teams of how they were criticized. Josh Hopple is very affable, likable. Um, I don't know if even Midwestern is what he seems Midwestern, but of course he he grew up a little further west than that. Uh, but just sort of that a little bit all shucks without the southern accent is what you get out of him. Uh, very likable guy, charismatic in sort of an easygoing way. He has some one-liners. He's in on the jokes. People would make Lane Kiffin jokes, and he didn't push them away. I'm not going to criticize another SEC coach kind of thing. He would lean into them. There was one at Kingsport that said, Coach Hopple, I'm the one that threw the golf ball. And Could you ask Lane Kiffin to return the golf ball to me when you see him at SEC Media Days? And Hopple, instead of just shaking his head and not, not you know, 
getting into that, he said, uh, I wish you would have brought, you know, more sleeves of balls. It would have been <laughs> a lot more effective. So he gets the joke and he's fine to get in on the joke. And Tony Vitello obviously wasn't at these events, but everybody knows why he's likable. And it, it it's, you know, in a uh, almost a uh, fraternity type guy uh, personality, uh, that competitive brash but really really funny type type way um the tony vitello is the prototypical if he's your guy you love him if you're the opponent you hate him and it's kind of for the same reasons and so all four of these coaches fill a different role and it makes sense in their sport and they've all had some measure of success granted some of that's just early for josh hopple but they've had enough success and they have enough of a personality that it relates a lot to the uh, to the fan base. And and I heard at all three stops, fans get up and say, this is the best collection of coaches we've had. Now it's, you kind of, at times you can always say that of whoever the current coaches are, but uh, it, it, you know, if Josh Hopple goes five and seven next year, you're not going to hear any of that a year from now at the caravan. But I do think there's something to that, that there is enough success to get behind these coaches, but all four are likable. And so I think that's why people are putting them together as a collection because they like each of them in different ways. Yeah, the, the caravans are interesting because you know most fans are not showing up at the caravan to boo the coaches or to um, you know to to lob a scathing criticism. These are the fans that show up to caravan events. Typically, I mean they are they are diehards. They're um, that doesn't mean they're not going to get frustrated, but they are backing the team. They are backing the athletic department through thick and thin. Uh, so it's not maybe like a cross section of the fan base. Uh, however, um, you know, all that being said, I thought, you know, at the event I was at, we were at in Chattanooga, I thought the fans were having a really good time. Um, you know, you could tell there was, a, it seemed like there was a lot to celebrate. And, and sometimes at these events, like, you know, they play the little promo video at the beginning and tell you about how great a year it's been. And sometimes it's like, you got to dig pretty deep into the archives. You know, you're showing like a seventh place finish at, at a golf tournament or something. Be like, Oh, it's been a great year to be a vol. Um, but, but this year it's like, Oh no, like there were, there were plenty of things to, to pull from when you have the bowl game and Heupel's first season, obviously Barnes's crew flopped in the NCAA tournament, but they, um, you know, they won the sec tournament. Kelly Harper makes, um, you know, the first sweet 16 for the lady vols in several seasons. And then obviously there was, there was talk, um, you know, about the baseball program and what it's doing as the number one team in the nation. You could just, you could sense the energy, I think, and the excitement right now. Um, and that's what you know, these caravans are for. I thought it was really foolish for Tennessee not to do it in 2019 because it's, it, it's almost like a politician, uh, you know, campaigning before the caucuses or the primaries, you know, you, you whip your people into a frenzy. That's what these events are for. And I think they can be effective at that. And, and I think, uh, um, from what you're saying and from what I saw, this, this event was effective in that. Yeah, and I think the timing of this is really important because the, the I don't think we can overstate the fact that Tennessee right now has the number one baseball team in the country. And so the the current sport, the sport in its current season when people are going to this, is having a, a, immense success. So it's not just that we're getting together to talk about a season that ended a month ago or four months ago or whatever. It's we're going to talk about these teams that had some measure of success during their season recently, but the feeling in the room is we're winning now. 
And so if baseball was a non-starter and it really didn't get any attention, let's say like, you know, five, six years ago, then I don't think you would have that feel. It would be more of talking about the past and possibly the future. Instead, it's talking about the past, looking to the future and also enjoying the present. And I think that's what baseball has done to sort of make this uh, the chance for Tennessee fans to feel good throughout the year. Also, the fact that you have NIL and the transfer portal right now, that football becomes more 12 months Um, and even basketball to some extent, because, you know, at one of these events, uh, Rick Barnes, Rick Barnes only made the Kingsport stop. He did that because he was recruiting to try to get uh, the big man from Indiana State uh, out of the portal uh, to get him to Tennessee, which he did a couple days later. And so you've got that in the background. Kelly Harper is doing these events and, you know, doing a wink, wink of I can talk about my signees. I can't talk about anybody else that we potentially may be getting. And then they land another big recruit uh, like two days after she says that. And so the the buzz in the room is that we're winning now. Um, you know, I mean, Nico Iamaliava, the the five star uh, quarterback, you know, the like the first question of each event, it was about Nico to these to these guys. And I know you wrote about this this week. Uh, everybody's buzzing about Nico because he recently got an NIL deal is what we understand. And that he recently committed. And so that's winning now. That's not that's not talking about winning in the future and talking about winning in the past, winning now. And that's why all these things sort of help these events because everybody feels good about what's going on like that week or that day when they're attending the event. All right. Well, enjoy the NFL draft. However you do it, whether it's watching every pick or getting updates on your phone and be sure to follow along with Adam's coverage. Uh, He'll have all the details and analysis of where, uh, the Tennessee ball players go in the draft. You can follow along at knoxnews.com. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.